Welcome to the Billingshurst Family Church Podcast. For more information or to support our work in Billingshurst and the surrounding areas, please visit billingshurstfamily.church. Good morning, everyone. Right, Christmas. It's coming up now, isn't it? Um, Christmas is seen as a kind of a season of joy, isn't it? And yet, I wonder, if I took a secret poll in this room now, what would be the feeling that comes to mind when you think about Christmas? Um, Don't worry, I'm not going to do it. Um, I guess many of us enjoy Christmas, would experience a lot of joy at Christmas, but for some, maybe it's a bit mixed. Maybe for a few, it's not a great time for whatever reason. Um, From my own point of view, there are lots of things I enjoy about Christmas. But if I'm honest, there are a few things that I struggle with. Some of them are quite obvious. One of the things that I find quite tricky is that Christmas seems to get earlier and earlier every year. We even had one of our preachers confessing to putting up their tree in November. I know who you are, Will Richards. Um, I find some of the more sentimental, over-the-top stuff that gets associated with Christmas, some of it to do with work, etc., to be a little bit much at times. Um, The commercialisation of Christmas and the way that Jesus is almost completely written out can really jar sometimes. I remember once being almost gobsmacked and speechless when one of my work colleagues turned around to me, she knew I was a Christian, and she complained about how she disliked religious Christmas cards. And um, I tried not to say that the name Christ is quite a large part of the word Christmas. And, um, and, and, don't, and please don't get me started on the Xmas abbreviation. Um, but to be honest, Christmas can be quite a hard time for lots of people. Um, we have to spend time with relatives who we may or may not get on well with. Um, If you're on your own, it's not a great time, is it? Because it kind of reminds you of that. And um, kind of on that note, I'm really pleased that Jade and um, Paul and Ruth are taking on the baton from um, Colin and Jane. Thank you, Colin and Jane, as well. Um, It's really good that I know that as a church, we're going to be offering our Christmas lunch to maybe some who would be on their own. It's brilliant, isn't it? Woo! Yeah, woo! Do it. Do it. Um, Sadly, one of the things, I was checking it out as well to see if this was true. It seems to be thought thought was true that actually more marriages break up at Christmas or kind of five days afterwards, they say, than any other time of the year. And also for those of us who suffered loss, Christmas can be quite a hard time when maybe that person who we really loved is not around anymore. And it's quite tough. But obviously, we believe in Jesus. And for us, Christmas has to be a time of joy. Um, When we think about the amazing news of a baby who was sent by God to save the world. And what we're going to look at this morning as we kind of have our fourth and last Advent preach is a song written by a young woman, Mary, the mother of that baby. A song where she expresses her deep joy and wonder at the amazing things that God has done And was about to be doing through her. And I guess my hope is as we look at this. That really we would get that heart of worship again afresh. As we've already been doing this morning. 
but also just for, for our Christmas season, really, and the joy that came from that, so that we can really all celebrate the birth of our Saviour, no matter where we're at in life. So I'm going to pray before we start looking at God's Word. Yeah, Father God, I thank you for your Word. I thank you that it's true. I thank you that it has an impact on us. I want to pray, Lord, as we look at this song of Mary, that, Lord, that you would speak to us afresh about the amazing joy and worship that comes from focusing on you and what you have done and what you're like and all the good things that you've poured out on us. So I want to pray, Lord, that you would help us. You would help us to listen, but you would also help us to respond, to be encouraged, to be caught up again in the joy that sits behind this season that you sent your son, Jesus, into the world to save us. And Lord, I just pray that you guide my words and you would guide our hearts. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. So before we look at our passage, I think it's useful to look at the what I've kind of called the backstory, why, why Mary broke out in song like this. And it's quite an interesting song. It's one that's used in a lot of traditional churches. It's called the Magnificat, purely because the first word in Latin is Magnificat. And um, it's a song that, that of, of real worship. But it's kind of, um, kind of what you need to look at is these, there's two visits. Um, first of all... An angel comes to Mary and uh, comes to tell her that she is going to be the mother of the promised Messiah. And it's quite an unsettling thing for Mary. You can read that as you look at the story. Because first of all, the angel opens with this, you are greatly favoured by God. Which, when you think about it, for a humble person, a humble woman, a young girl in an obscure village is quite surprising. It's, it's quite an unlikely thing. It's quite unexpected. It comes out of nowhere. And then he's going to tell her that she's going to have a child. Which, you know, people know how children come into the world. And she knows this is impossible. Because she hasn't slept with anyone. She's still a virgin. And it must have been, you know, she must have felt really a a high degree of disquiet. and, And not confusion as well. And I think even as the angel starts to explain how. As he talks about the Holy Spirit. And how the Holy Spirit is going to enable her to conceive. I'm not sure she would have felt that brilliant at this point. There's quite a lot to take on board, isn't there? And I I guess there's a real degree of insecurity and disquiet there as she hears the amazing news. And yet, despite this surprising news, despite the unexpected favour of this, she responds with simple faith. Okay, Okay, God, if it's your will for me to have this baby, it's going to happen. And it's going to be all right. And I think it's worth just pausing here. And, you know, I, I think Mary is quite an incredible person. And I think it's amazing, really, when you consider the, the gravity and the impact on a culture where having a child out of wedlock was quite a, a serious and dangerous thing. And then, because of what the, the angel said to her, she talked about her cousin, Elizabeth, who I think was a fair bit older than her, kind of at the end of the time of expecting to have a child. Um, She goes to see her, maybe kind of checking up on what the the angel had said. And um, her cousin was much more obviously pregnant um, with a baby who was going to become John the Baptist, the man who would announce the coming of Jesus and prepare the way for him. And then her cousin, again, proclaims the favour of the Lord upon her. 
because she's going to be the mother of the Son of God. And uh, the baby inside of Elizabeth leaps for joy at the fact that the mother of the Saviour was with her, that the Saviour was there with him. And um, these two kind of visits begin to impact Mary. She begins to understand what's going on. She begins to grab hold of what God is about to do and how she's going to be a part of it. And she can't help herself, and she sings this song. And uh, Karen is going to read it, because I thought it would be really good to get a woman, if you're going to grab Julian, um, to read this out, because this is a woman's song, and it's a young woman's song. (laughs) No, not Julian, the mic. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of her hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones, and exalted those of the humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. The rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Thank you, Karen. I think it's good to actually kind of context this passage by getting someone who's female to read it, but also someone who's young. And actually, Mary would have been even younger. Sorry, Karen. Even younger than Karen, probably more of a teenager in age, actually, as well. Half, not half her age, Craig, build up your wife. Yeah, we don't need to, to remind her of that. Now, um, this song would have followed a pattern that was very familiar to a first century Jew. There are a number of psalms that are called, kind of traditionally, the, the psalms of thanksgiving. And they follow a standard pattern where the writer would start by thanking God. And then he would keep drawing out reasons why we should be thankful to God. The example I was going to quote was Psalm 103, but actually the one that Caroline brought, Psalm 136, is very much of the same style. It's like, this is why we need to thank God. This is why we need to worship God. And uh, so Mary would have been familiar with this, and I can kind of think that's kind of why she would have used this form. And she starts the psalm with a couple of verses which really talk about worshipping God and how kind of two main ways that we worship God. She says, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. And we start with praise. And praise is really just where we give glory to God for who he is and what he's like, kind of his character, his nature. And then the second is thankfulness, where we rejoice in all that God has done for us. And you know, worship is not simply singing. It's not simply when we gather together. It's not simply reading scripture or praying out or bringing words from God uh, or just enjoying him together. It's deeper than that. Worship is, is all about recognizing. It's a recognition of who God is. It's about giving him glory for who he is. And worship is recognition of what God has done for us. It's about rejoicing in him. And um, worship is something that we can do in everything that we do. In what we do, in what we say, and what we think. It's not just 
when we gather together as believers. It's brilliant. There's something special about when we gather together as people who believe in Jesus to worship him. But it's something that we can do in every part of our life. We can do it in our work. We can do it in our study. We can do it in our play. We can do it in our daily lives. Worship is when we do things and we glory in God and who he is and what he has done for us. And then she moves on and we move into amazement. An amazement that God could use her. And Mary, and Mary says, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. See, Mary was very aware of the fact that she was normal, orderly. She wasn't important. She lived in a small town. The place that she lived in was so obscure, we're not even quite sure where it was. And yet, God chose her despite her lowly position. He chose her to bear the baby who had grew up to be the man who had become the saviour of the world. And no wonder she was amazed. And that God would choose her even when he, God, was so holy. So different and beyond us that he would use someone as insignificant as her for such an important task. Probably the most important thing that God ever asked anyone to do, to bear the saviour of the world. And you know, it's true. God often uses those who the world does not view as important or that matter or have any value or any worth to fulfil his great purposes. You know, he even uses you, he even uses me. And, in, and also in that, not only does God use an ordinary person, he also shows great mercy to her and, in fact, to all the people that he's going to save through this child. And Mary talks in verse 50 about God's mercy. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And, and when the Bible uses the word fear, it's not always that kind of knee-knocking, trembling kind of help kind of fear. Although actually, that's quite a good response to God. If we really understand who God is, maybe we do need to have that kind of fear as well. It's more about, it's more kind of an understanding and a reverence, a kind of humble, reverent obedience to God. It's kind of a a desire to know who God is and then want to do what he wants and please him. And it's the kind of response that allows God's mercy to actually be enjoyed. And the... um, the Catholic tradition uh, in the, is, is that Mary must have been like Jesus. That she must have been sinless to be able to bear a sinless child. And, um, but I think if you just look at this response, plus the fact the Bible doesn't say she was sinless, um, and common sense really tells us that Mary was just like all of us. A normal, ordinary, sinful person. She wasn't awful, but it wasn't about her sinlessness that God chose her. I think probably what was really key was he knew her heart and he knew the fact that she was an obedient uh, girl and she was willing to do what God's mercy. And I think that's really encouraging because we know that we can receive God's mercy and we can be used by him not because of what we can do, not by the fact that we have to get ourselves you know, self-improvement, make ourselves more like God wants us to be. 
It's all about grace, isn't it? It's all about the fact that God can use us despite who we are. The key is obedience. And that's what unlocks God's incredible and undeserved mercy to us. And I find that really encouraging because that means it can be me as well. It's really good, isn't it? And actually, the real truth here, and we're going to see that in the next few verses, is that how God treats us is kind of depends on our response to him. And then as Mary says, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. God wants everyone to enjoy his mercy. But unfortunately, there are attitudes and responses that make that difficult, that stop that happening. Pride, self-satisfaction in who we are, in what we have, or what we have done, gets in the way. Stops God's mercy from flowing. And um, unfortunately, the consequence of that, as Mary said, is that God will humble us. And I wonder if Mary was thinking of a Bible story, the story of Nebuchadnezzar, who was sitting up in his palace, saying how wonderful I am, how great I am, and God went wham. And he went mad. And he ended up with his beard growing out, his toenails going really long. And it wasn't until he humbled himself and gave the glory back to God that God then raised him up and let him be king again. And... um, There's a key in that story as well. And Mary talks about this as well. It's humility that's the right response. And when we are humble, God raises us up. And I love the the way Mary celebrates how God will satisfy the hunger of those who are hungry. um, And yet he'll send away the rich. Those that think or do have everything that they need. And there's kind of a spiritual element of that as well. Because it's only when we understand our spiritual need, our poverty, and how we need God, then really that God can show his mercy. And then he does what we cannot do and saves us. Because most excitingly of all, God sees that the promises of God to rescue his people are finally going to be fulfilled through the birth of this child that is now growing inside of her, that she's now carrying. And, and, and we look at the last two verses He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Because she's thinking about the Old Testament. She's thinking about all the promises of God to save his people. Uh, And of God's desire and his heart to not just save his people, but also change their hearts and turn them back to him. Through this man that he talks about, this promised Messiah, or in Greek, Christ. Someone who would once and for all deal with their sin and turn their hearts back to him. And she ends by rejoicing in this amazing truth that she's beginning to see that what God has promised is starting to happen. And it's going to happen through this child, through this baby she's about to bring into the world. And of course, this promise is even bigger than that. Because it's not just about this one nation, his chosen people, Israel. It's about the whole world. And it affects all of us. And it's amazing. So Mary's song tells us about a deep and true joy that actually, in a sense, we should all have. 
even in the darkest and most painful times of our lives. And this joy is rooted in a recognition of who God is and what he has done for us. That yes, he is a holy and pure God, and yet so merciful that he sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to live a perfect life. And as a perfect man, to die and sacrifice himself for us so that we would be able to be saved from the consequence of our sins. And because of that, we no longer know an eternal death separated from God. Instead, we have an eternal life knowing him and being known by him. And the question here is, if that doesn't fill us with joy, what can? See, this is our joy at Christmas that God sent his son into the world to save us. And it's a joy that is so deep and so strong that it cannot be taken away from us. Whatever we face, whatever is going on in our lives, whatever is happening to us, we have that joy that God sent his son Jesus to save us, to save you and me. And that is why, like Mary, we can worship him. Not because we must, although in a sense that is true, but because we we just can't help ourselves because we're just so full and enjoy what he has done for us. Mary's song reflects on God's favour to to her, which she doesn't deserve, and that's grace. And her joy and her favour is unlocked by her obedience and her willingness to be used by God, and that is what we call faith. Because faith isn't simply just believing it all, that what Jesus has done, that's part of it. It's more than that. It's doing something about it. It's a response where we turn to Jesus and say, you know, I need you. I need you to be in charge. I need to do what you want. Because only if I do that can I enjoy your mercy and his amazing grace to us. And it's interesting, isn't it? Because I always find this. You can't really preach a Christmas message without thinking about another time of the year. You can't, you know, when we, at Easter, when we remember and celebrate the death and resurrection of Jesus. Because the two are just so wrapped together, aren't they? You can't have Christmas without Easter. You can't really think about the baby coming without then thinking what he did and what that means. And um, you might, there might be people here who are still not sure about Jesus. And I'd, I'd encourage you to find out more. We've got an Alpha course. We had a notice about that coming up. And uh, we have the meal. Um, And there are loads of us here who would love to share with you what Jesus has done for you if you're exploring that as well. Because really the Christmas message only makes sense when it's viewed in the light of what Jesus' death on the cross achieved for us and what his resurrection confirmed. And taking hold of that and getting the benefit of what Jesus did for us as we turn to him in faith and enjoy his amazing grace for us. So what are we going to do about it? I say, I've talked to myself as much as anyone else here. And I think Mary's song of, song of joy has to encourage us to seek the true joy of the Christmas message. We need to enjoy the good news of the Saviour's birth and what that means above what that means for us. And that means we can rise above the stuff that's going out there in the world that might dilute or confuse the Christmas message because we know what it's really all about. And um, 
I've, I've particularly prayed as well as I was talking about this. That I want to encourage, you know, there are many of us that are going through difficult times. There are many things that we're struggling with. You know, there are things that are going on in our lives that are not easy. Whether that's relationships, loss, loss that's coming, circumstances that are hard, that are hard to bear. And what helps us at that time is to see them in the light of the news of our, of our Saviour and the healing work that he's done with us. The fact that his Holy Spirit now lives in us. And also the blessing of the fact that he's put us in a lovely church family with lots of people just like us, not perfect, but all following Jesus and knowing his blessings and able to help and encourage one another. And that's brilliant, isn't it? It's good to think about that, actually. And, you know, the mercy of God, the favour of God, when we reflect on it, and that's not just a Christmas thing. That's an all-of-life thing, isn't it? When we allow that deeper joy to fill our hearts, it doesn't matter whether life is good, whether life is bad, or maybe, for most of us, just plain boring and normal. We can still enjoy the joy of the Saviour's birth. And we can allow that joy, not rooted in circumstance, And not rooted in how we feel, but rooted in what our God is like and what he has done for us. The fact that he sent his saviour, he sent Jesus, his son, to save us. Let's let that joy fill our hearts again afresh. And I needed to hear that message just as much as anyone else here. See, our joy at Christmas is rooted in a favour we did not deserve. And in a way... You know, he doesn't just bless us. He also wants us to be involved. Like Mary, we're part of it as well. We've got a part to play. He can use us too. And it doesn't really matter what we think of ourselves, how good we think we are, or how good we don't think we are. He can still use us. It's all about obedience. It's all about our willingness to be used by him to achieve his amazing purposes. And I want to do something as well to encourage you. I know Craig said when he preached, I can't think which one of the two he did, but he encouraged us to go back to the gospel story and read it again, to go back to Luke, to go back to Matthew. And I think sometimes we get too familiar with it. And I think it's good for us to go back and read it and reflect on it and let that just sink in what, what God has done for us at Christmas. So I just want to encourage us to do that, you know, and really rediscover the joy. That's my heart, as I said at the beginning of the preach, that we would rediscover the joy of the fact that he sent his son to save us and just to reflect on what that means for us. So let's pray. Yeah, Father God, I thank you for Christmas. Yeah, I thank you for all the other things that go on around it, but I thank you for what's at the core of it, that you sent Jesus to be Emmanuel God with us, to be a man like us, to give his life for us, and to save us and set us free and transform the world. And Lord Jesus, that is what I want to pray that each one of us walk away with this morning. That you sent Jesus, that you loved us that much. And Lord, I pray that that would fill us with joy, that that would fill us with something that's deep inside of us, that whatever happens to us, whatever's going on in our lives, wherever we're at, we have that joy in our hearts. And that's only something you can do. So Lord, I just ask you to do that now. 
and to seal that message in our hearts. And Lord, I want to end as I pray by just saying thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for sending him. And thank you for what that means for me and what that means for each one of us. Thank you, Lord. Amen.